Hello and welcome to The Clover with your host from Arizona, Clarissa Savelle. Join me as I make connections with 4-H members across my club, my community, my country, and my world. This week's episode of The Clover is dedicated towards the colorfulest time of year, aka Pride Month, a time when parades, picnics, parties, and now Zoom meetings are held to unite the LGBTQ community in honor of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan, New York. This uprising is a historical achievement in the fight for LGBTQ equality. However, there is still work to be done to create safe spaces that uplift all identities. In the spirit of pride, I wanted to bring to light ways 4-H can be more inclusive of the LGBTQ community. So I traveled to Seattle, Washington to learn from Maida Ziglow, a class of 2020 high school graduate, 4-H ambassador, and co-founder of Washington State 4-H Teen Equity and Inclusion Task Force. This task force is a grassroots movement with the purpose of educating youth and adult leaders on how to be more inclusive of the LGBTQ plus community. So without further ado, I welcome Maida Ziglow. Yeah, so my name is Maida Ziglow. I have been in 4-H for five years. Um, and I am a co-founder of the Washington State 4-H Teen Equity and Inclusion Task Force. Um, so I kind of began my 4-H experience interested in cooking and sewing. Um, but then as I got older, I was more interested in leadership um, and citizenship. And so... A couple of years ago, a couple of friends and I noticed that our state dress code wasn't inclusive of transgender and gender non-conforming youth. It indicated clothing for females and clothing for males. So this didn't allow a spot for youth that didn't identify in one of those categories. This inspired us to work on redoing the dress code to make it more inclusive and relevant. Um, from there, we decided that we wanted to present on inclusive practices at our statewide leaders forum. We wanted to make 4-H more inclusive for LGBTQ plus youth in Washington state and bring to light the issues these youth were combating. We presented on the importance of respecting youth's names and pronouns and rooming youth with the gender they identify as, not their sex assigned at birth. Following this presentation, we decided we wanted to do more. We spoke with state leadership about creating a statewide equity and inclusion task force, and eight months later, we were finally recognized as a state group. So what is it like to be a part of the equity and inclusion task force, and what does being a member entail? Yeah, so we currently have 10 active members from across Washington State, we strive to create a community of diverse young people who can provide different perspectives and insight. We have members from both the east and west sides with representation from a diverse group of youth um, in terms of socioeconomic statuses, race, 
Um, we have a lot of neurodiverse youth and um, a lot of representation with um, a variety of sexual orientations. Our members have the opportunity to choose the direction of the, our task force. Being a member is oftentimes being present to participate in conversations and dialogue around important social justice issues. Um, we ask our members to attend bi-weekly meetings and join at least one committee, but we also understand that everyone has other activities going on in their lives, and especially during this time, it's important to focus on self-care, so we understand if um, they're not able to attend meetings. But we, our members are um, able to be advocates for um, social justice and um, in their 4-H communities. Okay, that is some awesome work that you all are doing. Especially because social justice issues are so important to discuss and actively understand. However, these conversations definitely aren't always easy. So I'm curious what types of activities you do or workshops you hold to create a safe space for open discussions. Yeah, so one of the ways um, that we help to have those conversations is we teach workshops to our leaders around the state. Um, so we presented at our state leaders forum. Um, also, when we're going into positions and activities where we know we might have difficult conversations, we prep our youth um, and discuss questions that may be asked and how to respond respectfully. Um, and we also want our youth to know that their voice is important. Um, and just because there may be an adult in a place of leadership, that doesn't mean they're always right. Um, and it's important to have that conversation. We've also created two different workshops. One is on sharing pronouns. Um, and it goes through exercises on the importance of sharing pronouns as well as role-playing and practicing the use of um, different pronouns when referencing people. And then we also have a workshop on anti-bullying um, and having discussions about slurs directed at LGBTQ people and how they're not appropriate, but that it may differ depending on the community you are in. Um, but I think it's really important to just have those conversations. We also create agreements at the beginning of our in-person events that state what we promise to abide by. And we as youth brainstorm and create this so that everyone is aware of the expectations and wants to ab abide by that set of, of rules. And why do you think it is important to prioritize the inclusion of underrepresented groups, such as the LGBTQ plus community? It's so important to lift up the voices of underrepresented groups and understand their perspectives from a broad group of people. If you want everyone to feel included, you need to have input from a diverse population. Um, it is important to not only prioritize inclusion, but also create space and opportunities for underrepresented communities to have a place in leadership and decision making, especially in 4-H. 
it's important if we want to expand our program and include youth, a more diverse population of youth, we need to make sure that we're we're recognizing youth and showing them that they can be a leader in 4-H and that there is a space for them even if they don't look like the typical 4-H'er. What were some of the obstacles that you and your friends faced when proposing this task force and curriculum regarding LGBTQ plus inclusion? Yeah, so when we initially proposed our workshop for our state leaders forum, we were rejected. Um, People didn't think it was something we needed to discuss in 4-H. So that was hard but we stressed how important it was and that we needed to have these discussions to move forward as an organization. Um, along the way, we've received a lot of pushback with comments such as, this isn't 4-H and this isn't what we do. Um, and sometimes it's hard to find people with larger platforms that are willing to create space for discussions around equity and inclusion. But it's so important to keep pushing and to keep going because you will find people in the organization that are there to support you and know that it's important um, and will help advocate for you. And how have you gone about outreaching and building the amount of members who are in your task force? So one thing that we've tried to do while working on outreach is to remind our members and the community around us that we want participation from anyone and everyone and we want all these different perspectives um and we're willing to work with the youth and find what's right for them and we want them to be able to participate in different capacities it doesn't always have to look the same um that can be If youth aren't comfortable speaking during a Zoom call, they can text a friend or um, type in the chat box. Um, And if, you know, if they have other events that they need to attend to, we recognize that. But we also want to just support them in their lives um, and remind them that we are here um, and we appreciate any Um, participation, any level of participation they're able to offer. So as we were preparing for this podcast episode, you mentioned that you went to the True Leaders in Equity Institute and then later became a True Leaders in Equity Ambassador. So I was wondering if you could just elaborate on that and what your experiences were at the Institute. So in April of 2019, Um, They had the first Equity Institute, and it brought together youth and adult pairs from around the United States, Um, and it was an opportunity to connect with people that were also passionate about the same issues. So our group was partnered with a group from Wisconsin that was interested in working on LGBTQ plus equity and inclusion in 4-H. And we got to have conversations with them about the difficulties that we faced and how to move forward. Um, And then following the Institute, we have like monthly, for the year following it, we had monthly Zoom calls, so we were able to check in on our projects 
and talk about difficulties we were facing and National 4-H provided support. So if we needed help talking to our state leadership or um, if there were if we needed like funding, they were there to help support us and help try to get the things that we needed to move forward with our projects. And so an equity ambassador is being a spokesperson for 4-H, for National 4-H, and you have the opportunity to share your story um, and represent 4-H in your community and nationally. As opportunities arise, um, such as the Healthy Living Summit, you have the opportunity to attend and so they asked there's three equity ambassadors um and they asked us if we wanted to be on a panel to discuss equity and inclusion um and so one of your roles as an equity ambassador is to be that spokesperson and that voice um advocating for equity All right, quick side note. So the way that I actually got to meet Maida was at the National 4-H Healthy Living Conference in DC this past February. Here she spoke on a panel about equity to a group of ambassadors from all over the states. And if this sounds like an opportunity that you would like to pursue, then check out True Leaders in Equity Institute on 4-H.org. Here they have information about the Institute, as well as ways to apply. Now that you're already on the 4h.org website, you should check out the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in 4h page. Here they put a spotlight on youth voices who have advocated for social justice issues and equity, which can be really inspiring as a fellow 4h'er. And they also provide resources for ways your club can be more inclusive. So now that we have some tools to help us take action, let's head back to the interview. And how can fellow 4-H ambassadors practice being more inclusive of the LGBTQ plus community on a personal level? There's definitely a lot that you could do. I think it's important as um, the world is evolving to research um, for yourself and for others. As I stated previously, we one of the things we work on a lot is sharing pronouns. So not just asking other people their pronouns, but beginning a conversation and introductions with sharing your own pronouns creates that space of welcoming and letting other participants know that you're going to respect their pronouns and respect them for who they are. Um, I think it's also important to... If you're comfortable, talk about your own experiences. Um, And one of the things that we talked about at the True Leaders and Equity Institute was the importance of storytelling. So if you're comfortable sharing your story and your experiences, that is key to um, creating a safe environment um, and reminding people that you um, appreciate all of their identities. Another thing that we do um, in our state is we have little um, pride buttons and they kind of just identify you as a safe person um, and that you are someone that's safe to come talk to um, as well as um, identifying 
our ambassadors as people that are um, going to recognize the LGBTQ plus community. And what has been one of your favorite experiences building the task force and working towards equity and inclusion in 4-H? We ran our first retreat in September of this year and it was a very meaningful experience. It was an opportunity for all of our members to come together in person. We usually meet virtually, um, but it was an opportunity to bring a diverse group of youth that were leading around the state and have difficult conversations and talk about things in 4-H that we want to improve. Um, it was super important to have those conversations. And after the implementation of your task force, did you see people become more comfortable and participative in the 4-H program? One of the things that we've done as a task force is implemented um, providing pronoun stickers at state events. Um, and I've also attended a couple events and brought pronoun stickers um, at like teen rallies and events. So one of the most meaningful experiences for me is I've had a youth come up to me after they saw the pronoun stickers and they were so excited and they were like, this has made my whole weekend to be recognized and appreciated for every single part of my identity. And so I think it's so important. Sometimes the work we're doing seems very far out there, but we're really making an impact on um, the youth in 4-H. And even if you can um, help make one person's experience more positive, that really makes a difference. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of The Clover. I would like to give a special thanks to Maida for joining us. And if any of the listeners would like to learn more about the task force or get in contact with her, her information will be in the podcast description. And a shout out to Tom Plass for creating the intro and exit music to this podcast. And as always, thank you for tuning into The Clover and connecting with 4-H members in your club, community, country, or world. All right, now I gotta go blast the song I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross and celebrate Pride Month. Till next time, fellow 4-H'ers.